I was a high school senior when I quietly began telling a few people I was an agnostic. For a while, I needed to challenge religious precepts I had grown up with that were in the ether of my family and community culture. In part, I was disturbed by the supposed facts of the biblical stories. Many didn't seem plausible, yet, yet they didn't seem exactly false either. Still, I was full of my own fanciful powers as I bounded out to college and life beyond. Now, some people can stay away from a religious or spiritual quest for a very long time, maybe even a lifetime. Others of us can't, probably most of us really, because ultimately we find we're unable to escape the deep, deep questions of our existence, even if it's only at the end of life they come crashing in on us. And these ultimate questions are both philosophical and theological. How we answer them have practical and ethical ramifications for the living of our days. The first is, who am I? It's a question about identity. The second follows along. Where do I come from? What are my origins? And the next, where am I going? addresses our purpose and destiny. Then somewhere in the mix lies this one. Who or what is God? Which is subtler, but no less substantial because it addresses who or what will have our ultimate allegiance and loyalty. And as I like to remind my listeners, I believe everyone worships something. Whenever we begin to sincerely engage these elemental questions, we begin our spiritual pilgrimage. For most of us, this pilgrimage is full of starts and stops and U-turns and breakdowns. Still, surely everyone listening today is somewhere on that path. Your presence gives you away. It didn't take me all that long, really, to find my way to my own faith as a follower after the way of Jesus. That's because... I first fell in love with music, and as I discovered, the great music of the Western world is profoundly spiritual. It evokes a reality that's beyond material skepticism. This reality does not fall within the bounds of scientific proofs. Even though music obeys the natural laws of physics, the results are not quantifiable. It was through music that God initially became truly known to me. I had a faith without words, as it were. Following the death of the novelist Kurt Vonnegut, I read that he had suggested his own epitaph in an interview he had given a year earlier. Vonnegut said, My epitaph should be, The only proof he needed of the existence of God was music. And then he added, It's meant a tremendous amount to me. I'm grateful, really, really grateful for what music has done for me. Why it works, I can't imagine. That's completely consistent with my experience. I don't understand why it works the way it does either, but the language of music pointed me to God like a compass pointing to true north. Now, of course, everyone has a unique tale to share concerning how they got started on the authentic Godward path. And not everyone responds to music the way I do or is stirred by the same kind of music. But it has been the language of my soul. And each of you has your own story about how you moved along the spiritual path.
In the first year of my ministry, a woman about the age I am now today told me a part of her life story. She had a successful career in finance, had been married, and the mother of three, all lost to her through the denial of her alcoholism. Now, many, many years later, in recovery for decades, she found herself reporting in an AA meeting that she was glad she was an alcoholic, for through it, she found out who God was and by default, who she was. Now by that, she didn't mean she was glad she lost her career and caused her family great pain, but she was very glad that through her disease, she was able to find answers to her own four essential life questions. At that early stage in my life and career, she was one of my teachers on that point. Through all sorts of means, skepticism gives way to acceptance that after all, religious or spiritual commitment may be the only appropriate, even necessary response to life's questions. Many discover that it isn't enough to simply acknowledge the possibility of God's existence, for that's the barest of acknowledgments and doesn't long satisfy our deepest yearning. But it matters quite a lot how we think about these things. Harry Emerson Fosdick, the preacher for whom Riverside Church was built way up on the Upper West Side by Columbia, wrote this about an important scientist philosopher of his day, a man named Ernst Haeckel. Quote, Haeckel says that there is no God, only mobile cosmic ether. Imagine a group under Haeckel's leadership rising to pray, O oh, mobile cosmic ether, blessed be thy name. It is absurd. Unless God is personal, the deepest meanings of gratitude in human hearts for life and its benedictions have no proper place in the universe." Unquote. Now, Fosdick wrote that in 1917. Haeckel died in 1919. As it turns out, though, Haeckel's philosophical framework, in which all economics and politics and ethics are reduced to applied biology, was embraced by the Nazis to affirm their positions on racism, nationalism, and social Darwinism. Despite our culture's spiritual laziness, it really does matter how we answer the fundamental questions. Our answers have real-time implications. At Christ Church, we speak of a radically personal God. That's the music we make here. Rich, compelling stories of faith have been passed down to us, stories evocative of both history and mythology, stories rooted in fact, but imbued with the language of transcendence and the imagination, stories which, if read scientifically, strain credulity. But then again, if heard like music, can awaken our hearts and minds to the realization that the most important matters of our existence lie just beyond our ability to fully explain or quantify. We move into the realm of faith. And faith is not illogical or irrational. Instead, it is transrational. It's a larger frame of reference. Faith is willingness to embrace a truth that's larger than our language can hold. So, today we read those wildly mystical stories about Jesus' ascension, which is a story of faith. 
It concludes the remarkable events that began with Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It's a story of faith because the disciples' experience could not be contained in the language of material fact. Well, well, how do you talk about something that is real for you, but beyond your understanding? The New Testament text is in part the result of people struggling to make sense of what they experienced as profoundly real. And what is it that they're explaining today? Luke and Acts were written some 30 years after the resurrection, time that had allowed the fledgling church to form and propagate, time enough for thoughtful reflection about the shared experience of those who knew and were coming to know Jesus. The barest facts were a given. Jesus was a powerful, charismatic teacher and healer. He was crucified as an enemy of the state. His presence was experienced by many beyond the grave. His promise of spiritual empowerment was kept. The church was born and the eternal message concerning God's love for humanity and all of creation caught hold around the whole known world. As the story unfolds then, the ascension is the transition from the specifics concerning Jesus to the specifics concerning the birth of the church and the spreading of the message of God's kingdom come to earth built from the timber of love and justice. So long as Jesus was around, the message couldn't be larger than his circle of friends. His leave-taking, as it were, allowed humanity to, to assume its proper role, to become co-workers with God, to become actors on the stage rather than spectators in the audience. That invitation is planted in the heart of all things and comes to every generation. Luke put it this way, while Jesus was going and the disciples were gazing up toward heaven, Two men in white robes stood by them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? That's because the dawning of their spiritual maturity had arrived, and it was time to get on with the work that had been gifted to them. No more gawking, hemming, and hawing. Time to get on with the work of God's love for the world. In the ascension, we have the exaltation of all that Jesus taught and lived, the triumph of love over death, resident with God, means that each human life is included within the same victory. And so for generation after generation, person after person heard the invitation to join the love parade. Consider the testimony of the great Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy. Five years ago, I came to believe Christ's teaching and my life suddenly changed. I ceased to desire what I had previously desired, and I began to desire what I formerly did not desire. It happened to me as it happens to a man who goes on some business and on the way suddenly decides that the business is unnecessary and returns home. His former wish to get as far as possible from home has changed into a wish to be as near as possible to it. Suddenly, I heard the words of Christ and I understood them and I experienced the joy of life undisturbed by death. What I always find so stunning in the Easter season is how the ragtag, cowardly band of disciples are utterly transformed into persons of remarkable strength and conviction concerning a message about 
love. This is the evidence of faith. Faith came as a gift and they received it. Their assignment became clear and they acted. It's an incredible story. It's our story, our music, our poetry. This story, friends, becomes brand spanking new whenever people dare to respond in faith. People just like us.